0: the sermon podcast of Paoli Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mexel. It is good to be together this morning. It is good to worship the Lord together today. As we begin, I have a simple question for you. What does it feel like or what do you do when you're caught? When you're caught doing something that you know you shouldn't have been doing. You ever had that feeling? I'm sure we all have, from one time or another. When you've done something wrong and now your secret is being discovered, or now someone's figuring out that you're know you, you you're, you're caught. The, perhaps the classic example of that is the kid with their hand in the cookie jar, right? You know the, the scenario. Mom says, don't eat the cookies, and leaves the room, and they look so good. They look so good. You just can't help yourself, and you reach down, you pick up that cookie, you have the first bite in your mouth, the mom walks back into the kitchen, and you're caught doing the thing that you weren't supposed to do. Or maybe as you get a little bit older, you were asked and told something in confidence by a friend, and you know you shouldn't have shared it with anyone, but it was just it was so tough when you, you're having another conversation, and it just sort of came out. and now that friend is standing in front of you, and tears are running down her face, and she's discovered that you've betrayed her, that you've given up this word that you, that you were supposed to keep to yourself. Or maybe you're driving down the road, and you know you're not exactly paying attention to how fast you're going, and all of a sudden you look in a rearview mirror and you see those blinking lights in your rearview mirror. Again, another classic. There are all sorts of ways in which we have been caught, right? Some of those are more serious than others, and some of us have been caught in things that are more serious than the things I've just described. But well, what do you do when you're caught? How do you respond when you're not quite sure which way to turn? Well, this morning as we turned to Scripture and we took, turned to the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, we see a time in the history of the Hebrew people when they were just about to be caught. Things were going significantly worse than they had gone previously. They had disobeyed God and they were about to face the consequences for their sin and their disobedience. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks or you heard a recording of Pastor Doug's sermons the last two weeks, you know that we're in the middle of of a series of sermons on the covenant of God, first found in the Old Testament. And today we're kind of making the transition from the Old Testament to the new that we will continue with next week. Covenant was one of God's ways to address the fundamental problem that we have as human beings. That's the problem of sin. God created humanity to enjoy a close relationship with himself. From the beginning, humans were in a very special place in creation. We experienced the opportunity to relate to God in a very close and a very unique and special way. But God knew and God recognized that in order for that to be a, a genuine relationship, a relationship where you could love one another, where you could share with one another, there had to be an opportunity for those humans to turn away from that relationship. It couldn't be forced. They couldn't be forced into the relationship. The people had to have the opportunity to turn in a different direction. And very early on, as we read in the beginning of the book of Genesis, that's precisely what happened. Very early on, the first humans turned their own way, disobeying God. And in the process, damaging their relationship with God, their relationships with one another, and their relationship with the world around them. And that damaged relationship is something that we inherited and we contribute to in our own lives as well but God wasn't satisfied to leave us in that broken state. So he began to unveil a plan of restoration that started, as we talked two weeks ago, with one man, Abraham, and God's covenant that he had with Abraham that then grew into the nation that came out of Abraham's uh, lineage, the nation of Israel, and God's covenant with the nation of Israel. And that brings us today to a a time where that is further down the road. And we remember and recognize in those initial steps the initiative that God took in the relationship with Abraham and the faithfulness of God in spite of the the failings and the sin of the people of Israel. God took the initiative and God continued to be faithful. This morning we come to a, a time in the history of the people of Israel that's several hundred years after the time of, of Exodus, after the time of Moses, after the time of the establishment of the covenant with the people of Israel. And a lot has happened in the succeeding centuries uh, between Moses and the time of Jeremiah. The people had gone into the promised land and had conquered the land with the leadership of Joshua. They had established a, a, a tribal identity in which the, the various tribes of Israel lived and related to one another under the leadership of judges who were raised up from time to time. They had formed a monarchy and had kings like the famous kings of the Old Testament, kings Saul and David and Solomon. And then they allowed disharmony and discord to split them into two. And the ten northern tribes became the nation of Israel, and the two southern tribes became the nation of Judah. And about a hundred years before this time of Jeremiah, the northern nation of Israel had engaged in so much sin that God handed them over to the world superpower of their day, the Assyrians, who came in and defeated and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and scattered its inhabitants. And now as we get to this time of Jeremiah, all that remains is the southern kingdom of Judah. But things are beginning to look pretty precarious for the southern nation at this point as well. Because while the Assyrians have now been replaced by the Babylonians as the great power of the world, The Babylonians were beginning to rumble against Judah and were beginning to, to make things look like the nation of Judah was going to be in a world of hurt. And into that situation, the prophet Jeremiah began to speak and began to remind the people of how they had gotten to this place in their history, how God had been faithful, how God had directed them, but how they had disobeyed God and gone their own way. And they were now facing face, coming face to face with the discipline and the response that was going to be God's way of trying to get their attention. Jeremiah spoke to them and told them that there was coming a time of exile, a time when the Babylonians would come in and take the people to, to back to Babylon, that the city of Jerusalem would be sacked, the temple would be destroyed, and all the world as they knew it would be turned on its head. But in the midst of that kind of despair... In the midst of that kind of trouble, Jeremiah also reminded the people that God who had taken initiative, that God who had been faithful in the past would continue to be faithful, and that in spite of how things looked, there was hope in the midst. And it's to that that we turn this morning in the book of Jeremiah, beginning in chapter 31 with verse 31. These words of hope that Jeremiah spoke to the people who were facing a time of exile. Let's read this. And they will be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive them their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel And the house of Judah. Those were words of hope that Jeremiah was speaking to the people of Judah. But things definitely didn't look that hopeful at the time. In fact, they looked pretty bleak. The enemy was at their doorstep, and they could only blame themselves for their disobedience of God in leading to their situation. God would use the Babylonians as a means of discipline for the people, encouraging them to give up their self reliance and to instead trust in the leadership. And the guidance of God. But God also recognized that a new approach was needed. God brought the people out of the land of Egypt and established relationship with them. The people turned away in disobedience. And now in his faithfulness, God was going to unveil for them a new plan. A plan that would help them to respond to the sin of humanity. But it would point them to a way that ultimately led them to hope. Now, God's first covenant, the covenant of law, the covenant that we saw the last couple of weeks, was pointed out the sin of humanity and particularly pointed out the sin of the people of Israel. But while the sacrifices that were there were um, pointed out the significance of their sin, it ultimately fell short of providing the kind of real, satisfactory solution to their sin. The law and the sacrificial system highlighted for Israel and highlights for us the fact that we are inherently sinners and. No amount of activity on our part can fix that problem. No amount of sacrifices can fix the ultimate problem for the Israelites. And no amount of good deeds or good works on our part can fix the problem that we have. There was a new way, though, that God was going to begin to unveil here in Jeremiah. I will put my law within them, God says, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And in the process... God will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. We're going to, in the next few minutes, kind of unpack the the significance of those words that God was speaking to the people of Israel, but that ultimately were words to you and to me this morning. And the first part of that covenant that God talks about here, it actually is the, the last piece as we read it, but it's a significant piece. It says that God will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. In the law, the, in the law covenant, the, the definition of right and wrong was very clear. Certain activities were acceptable and other activities were not. And the consequences of those sins were also clearly defined. Sacrifices were needed. Restitution and retribution were abundant. A lot of work was required to try to overcome every person's sin and the life that was in their lives. And for all of their sacrifices, the thing that happened to them was there was more sin around the corner. More that needed forgiveness. It seemed like a, a legalistic quagmire in a lot of respects. The old covenant, particularly the law and the sacrificial system, only pointed out how far short the people of Israel were in their ability to live up to God's desire and God's will. They couldn't get themselves to God, and the law underscored that. But God's new plan involved something different. It involved coming to us in human form, Jesus Christ. And unlike the earthly sacrifices, which even at their best were flawed, Jesus was by nature perfect. He lived out that perfection throughout his time on planet Earth. And as such, he could be the perfect sacrifice that all of the numerous sacrifices earlier could not be. And as that sacrifice, Jesus would go to a Roman cross, dying to pay the penalty for the sins of humanity. And being that perfect sacrifice, he could do what we couldn't do for ourselves. And then on that first Easter Sunday, rise again, validating his life's work and giving us the hope of forgiveness. Jesus made this link to the old covenant in Luke 22 when he said, this cup, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. He's living out, he was living out what Jeremiah was pointing to here in chapter 31, that Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice. This perfect sacrifice wouldn't need to be done again and again. Instead, it would be possible for ultimate forgiveness by God so that sins could be remembered no more because they're ultimately forgiven. In the face of despair, In the face of a bleak outcome as the Babylonians were at their doorstep, the Israelites, the people of Judah, needed to hear these words. There were words of hope. That there would come a time when there was ultimate forgiveness of sins, when God would remember their sins no more. That was a significant first part of this new covenant that's described here in Jeremiah. But it wasn't the only positive point that was being made. God would also put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Whenever the Bible talks about the law, it recognizes a fundamental human reality. And you've probably seen this in your own life. You know, whenever there's an external rule, something that says, don't do X, and you have it in front of you, isn't it so hard not to do X? I mean, maybe you weren't even thinking about, you know, walking on your neighbor's yard. But if if there's a sign there that says, don't walk on your neighbor's yard— all you want to do is take a step and walk on your neighbor's yard. Or, you know, if, if you know you're, not, you, you're trying to, to eat a little bit healthier until so you try not to have dessert after supper or later in the evening, and, you know, let's not eat after supper. We're not going to eat anything sweet, right? And all you can think about after supper is the, the ice cream in the, in the freezer or the cookies in the jar, in the, on the counter. I mean, isn't that how it often goes when the, when the rule is there in front of you and it's this external reality? All you can think about is how not to do whatever it is that you're not supposed to do. And God recognizes that. And God knows that at the fundamental level, the law is this external reality that that only makes us want to do it more. But God had a better solution. God says that he will write it on our hearts. And a big part of what that means is that God will, instead of having this external law, that God will be, begin to work on the inside of our hearts, changing us at a motivational level, changing our want-to. Instead of a have-to, it's a want-to, it's a, it's a get-to. It's the difference between being forced to do something and wanting to do something. And we see later in the New Testament how the Holy Spirit is God's means and God's vehicle of helping us to have this kind of change in our heart, change it at, at a, a fundamental root level of wanting to do the right things, instead of having to do the right things. Now, it's important to note in all of this that it's God who's doing the writing of that truth in our hearts. And so it isn't simply a matter of doing whatever we want to do. It's allowing God to give us those proper motivations and allowing that to be informed by the truth of Scripture and the ways that God works in our hearts and our lives. But Jeremiah says there is coming a new day, a day where there will be forgiveness of sins because an ultimate sacrifice will come in Jesus Christ. And there is coming a day when God will change us from the inside out, beginning to change the motivations of our hearts, writing it on our hearts, the desires of God's will and God's plan, so that we can begin, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to begin to live that out in our lives and in our world. There's a third point. that's not exactly explicit in this passage, but is really important for most of us sitting here today. And that is, these original words that were written by the prophet Jeremiah, were written to a specific set of people, weren't they? They were written to the people of Judah. God had made a covenant with the people of Israel. And God's covenant initially was with a a single nation of Israel. But in the new covenant, and we see this first in Abraham, when, when God was speaking to Abraham, he said, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It wasn't just limited to the nation of Israel. God's promises would be extended through the nation of Israel to the world in which we live. And a significant part of this new covenant, this new plan that God was beginning to unveil here with Jeremiah and that would continue to happen throughout the New Testament, is that through the through the people of Israel there would come a savior, Jesus Christ who was a Jew, but whose ministry and message was not just to the Jews, but was to all of us as well. To those of us who were not born as Jews, but who were Gentiles. But that gift of forgiveness, that gift of a new life in Christ, that gift of a changed heart, is extended not just to the people of Israel, but it's extended to each one of us as well. Jeremiah recognized the people of Israel, the people of Judah, were facing a a difficult task in front of them. There was a lot of despair that could have overwhelmed them. There was a lot that could have felt like it was coming in around them that gave them little hope. But in the midst of those words, Jeremiah spoke words of hope. And They are words of hope not just for the people of Judah, but for you and me today. There is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who offers us forgiveness. There is power and strength through the Holy Spirit of God to write on our hearts the desires of God and to help us to begin to live that out in ways that is impossible simply from an external set of laws. And through Jesus Christ, this gift was extended to all of humanity. Each one of us is welcomed this day. The gift of forgiveness, the gift of hope, is extended to us this day. <laughs>